This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, value investors. The Berkshire annual meeting was held on May 1st, 2021. And as I've mentioned on the podcast, it was live streamed on Yahoo Finance again this year. This year, it was from Los Angeles due to the coronavirus pandemic and not from Omaha, but they all expect to be back live in Omaha with the shareholders, hopefully next year in 2022. Now, I was at a couple softball games all day, so I did not get a chance to tune in live, but I was watching the commentary and what was coming out of it on my Twitter and um, then, of course, there were a lot of articles about what happened afterwards that I'm sure many of you saw. So I'm just going to run down some of the quick takes from it. These are just kind of the headline takes. Of course, the question and answer went on, I think, over three hours once again. So these are just the things that actually grabbed everybody's attention. And that unto itself is kind of interesting about what the main headlines were, right? Um, it wasn't really about about stocks per se. <laughs> so uh, let's just dive right in about what the quick takes were from it. Okay, so the first first big takeaway was that Buffett and Charlie Munger compared Robinhood, the app, to gambling and a casino. So that kind of started the, the rumbles there. Robinhood responded on Saturday calling out the, quote, old guard. Now, originally in that first comment, they did not mention Buffett or Munger by name, but apparently things changed by like Monday because then they released another statement saying, um, and now I'm quoting, saying, if the last year has taught us anything, it is that people are tired of the Warren Buffetts and Charlie Mungers of the world acting like they're the only oracles of investing, unquote. They're basically saying that they insulted a new generation of investors. So that was one of the big headlines coming out of Saturday. Um, and then the second one maybe was Munger calling Bitcoin, quote, disgusting and contrary to the interests of civilization, unquote. <laughs> I'm laughing out loud because just saying these comments is funny, right? Um, and then he did add, of course, I hate the Bitcoin success. And he's been maybe out of both him and Buffett, the most vocal against Bitcoin in particular. Um, and he's said scathing things about cryptocurrencies, but especially Bitcoin for several years now. So no one should be surprised that he called it, quote, disgusting, unquote. Okay, the third thing, and this is another of the hot areas, was on SPACs. And Buffett said about that, that it's a killer. So that's a quote, quote, it's a killer. And he said it did make it harder for Berkshire Hathaway to do any deals because, of course, they used to be the one that if you needed, needed the cash, you could go to them. And now they these companies can do the SPAC arrangement and avoid... Berkshire Hathaway, and then Buffett doesn't get his chance to charge, you know, a big, big extra fees and interest rate on top to loan him the money, right? So, but he did say, quote, frankly, we're not competitive with that. It won't go on forever, unquote. So he knows, he knows that their, their money is more expensive right now. And so everybody's getting their, 
cash through these cheaper methods, but as he said, it won't go on forever. And yeah, he's probably right there. Uh, the fourth takeaway was that there were no questions about the Dogecoin. <laughs> I'm laughing out loud again. The Dogecoin did not get any questions. Becky, um, Becky probably made sure that didn't happen, but I can only imagine the response if she had funneled one of those questions through about that cryptocurrency and um, you know the rally on that one. So no, no Dogecoin. Um, you know, commentary this time. So, of course, there was a huge outcry about these comments, right? In addition to Robin Hood saying it was an insult to investors, a lot of other people also said the same thing. Many of the cryptocurrency investors were on Twitter and uh, very vocal about what they think of Buffett, who is now 90, he's about to be 91, and Munger, who is now 97. A lot of these comments were, they're old, they're has-beens, they're out of touch, they don't know what they're doing, they should retire, you know, the same old, same old we've heard many times before. And I say that because I had to go back and look how many times uh, Buffett himself has been accused of being, you know, out of touch and just old and, and out of the loop, basically. So probably the biggest... Uh, most infamous time he was declared as out of touch was in December 1999. And that's when Barron's put out a now infamous article called What's Wrong Warren? And it accused Buffett of, quote, losing his magic touch, unquote. He was 69 at the time. The dot-com boom was raging. He doesn't like technology even today, but he certainly didn't even back then. It wasn't an area he's as familiar with, so he was not buying the, t the tech titans, as I call them. He was not in Cisco, Microsoft, Dell, or Intel back then. And Berkshire Hathaway stock uh, actually fell 23% in 1999 versus the S&P 500, which was up at the time of the article, 18%, and it finished the year up 21.4% in 99. And this was Berkshire Hathaway's first negative return since 1990. So in a decade, it hadn't been down. And it certainly hadn't underperformed the S&P 500 by such a significant amount in um, quite a long time, if ever, for that kind of uh, you know, underperformance. But 1999 wasn't the only time he was called out of touch, it, it turns out, in 2008. Reuters wrote, and this is the headline, quote, is Warren Buffett losing his touch, unquote. And that was when the Berkshire Hathaway Class A shares had fallen 51%. So a huge bear, huge correction, bear market crash, basically in Berkshire shares in 2008, off of a 2007 record high in the shares. So I think they were at like 150,000 each, and then they were trading in the 70,000 range um, when Reuters wrote this article. And why was that? Uh, this was right before the financial crisis or right as it was starting to happen and go on. And Berkshire Hathaway owns a lot of big insurance. And it had big insurance positions that were making investors nervous. And this was especially true after AIG got a $152 billion government bailout. So that was already going on when this article was written. So 
you can see with the types of businesses Berkshire Hathaway owned that a lot of people were getting jittery and just getting out and that put the pressure on the stock. So at this time in 2008, Buffett was 78 and accused of losing his touch then. Now, of course, we all know within you know six months or so, he would go on to get that great deal on, Ber or on uh, Bank of America and buy in super cheap and loan them money to keep them going during the financial crisis of which Berkshire Hathaway still owns a huge position on. And I think it's about 12% of the portfolio right now is still Bank of America, ticker BAC for those who are interested. So here we are in 2021 and Buffett is being called out of touch again at age 90. Uh, but let us remember who and what Buffett and Munger both are, right? So they're both value stock investors. They're not alternative investment, uh, alternative investment investors. So their goal isn't to be in whatever the latest hot thing is, and that includes, you know, cryptocurrencies. Um, he has always hated gold as well, for instance. And one time he called it, quote, lifeless forever, unquote. And some of the things he said about gold um, are pretty harsh, similar to what Munger has been saying about Bitcoin. He similarly has never really cared much about investing in bonds. That's not really his thing either, because he likes the stocks and he likes to own the companies. So he didn't care about the bonds. Um, also, he doesn't really care about real estate. That's another big asset class. He's never really owned, I'm trying to think back, like REITs or those kinds of things in Berkshire Hathaway's portfolio. He has owned some real estate by the virtue of some of the businesses that he owns, and he has the Clayton Homes type of thing, but not the actual land. I'm trying to think. Um, even in his own like personal life, he still lives in the same house he bought in Omaha decades ago. And um, it was his first wife who wanted to have other houses. So they did buy a house in Laguna Beach as like a family getaway in 1971. So he bought that house for $150,000 in 1971. It was built in 1936. They had remodeled it over the years and it did have the ocean views which is quite nice there out in Laguna Beach. But he finally sold it. It was on the market for about two years, but he finally sold it in 2018 for $7.5 million, down from the original list price of $11 million. So he did quite well on that, on that purchase, right? From 1971, $150,000 to $7.5 million in 2021. But you got to factor in some inflation, of course, but even still, not too shabby. But he never bought that house as an investment. Again, it was used as like a family vacation home. And even through all the bull markets housing has had, of which has had several since 1971, and then it had the super hot market in the early 2000s, including the housing bubble, he's not been out there flipping houses. He's not been out there trying to buy. In fact, he didn't even try to sell this Laguna Beach house during the bubble years. He waited until way after that. Um, and, you know, so he wasn't he wasn't treating it like an, an investor. 
So my point for bringing up like his real estate holdings and his interest or disinterest in these other areas is that every investor has their expertise. Buffett and Munger's is stocks and it's not cryptocurrencies and it's not, you know, again, the gold, the bonds, real estate. Um, it's not commodities trading. It's stocks. So in 1997, Buffett actually gave a speech at Caltech, which had some interesting quotes in it that basically explains wh why he's only into stocks. So I'm going to read a little bit of quote out of it because it's it's quoted a lot after he gave this speech. And it does explain kind of why he is just so focused on the one area. So he said this, so quote, the biggest thing I've had going for me is that we have never had big losses. I think almost everyone on Wall Street has had winners that were comparable to what we've had at Berkshire Hathaway, but we have tended to avoid the losers. And we have done that by trying to stick in what I call my circle of competence. I think that is the biggest thing in business, figuring out where you are good and where you are not. It doesn't make any difference how big the circle is. The important thing is that you know where the perimeter is. You can have a very small circle, but if you stay within that circle, you'll do fine. It's like Tom Watson said, I'm no genius, but I'm smart in spots and I stay around those spots, quote, unquote. So this is why he's in only stocks. That's his circle of competence. And then he goes on to say, that's what he tries to do in his investments. He said, quote, I try to stick with companies that I can understand. You don't always have huge winners that way, but you'll almost never lose any significant money. So come back and see me in 56 years and tell me how it worked, unquote. Because the question was about long-term investing. So he sticks with his, you know, little bit or lack of technology, his old economy type stocks, good businesses, and he calls that his circle of competence. Cryptocurrencies are not in his circle of competence. He gets mocked, right, on Twitter because it's not in his circle of competence. He never has said it is, and neither has Munger, but they do get mocked, and maybe they get mocked because he call, you know, Munger calls it um, disgusting or whatever, and he has no competence in it. So that's what angers the cryptocurrency investors. But um, if you look at it from the point of view of they don't really care what's going on in any other asset class except their own, other than how it might impact the overall economy, right? because their focus is on their circle of competence. And it may be this small circle, but their track record has proven that they will do fine even in that small circle. So on Robinhood, as we know, that app has opened investing to more people to invest. I'm sure many of you listening to this podcast are have your investments on Robinhood and that's where you track your portfolio. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But again, Buffett is talking his circle of competence when he uh, maligns or you know calls it a gambling in a casino because his circle of competence is to study the fundamentals, to buy and hold, to find great companies. He doesn't care what's trending on Robinhood, what's hot, what the Reddit guys are saying, what's Wall Street bets, none of that stuff. 
So that's outside his circle of competence. So yeah, he's not, he's going to think it's dumb. Um, and, and so he does, he, he does think it's like, you know, not a good thing, but again, none of us should be surprised by these reactions. And so, you know, if you were outraged or, or anything by hearing what their comments were on Saturday, you shouldn't be, this has been their comments on anything outside of stocks really for many decades now. Um, what the media should have been focusing on at the Berkshire annual meeting was really on Buffett's portfolio, what his plans are for the $145 billion in cash that are, is sitting there. Are there any plans? I know uh, it seems absurd to me that that much cash is sitting there. Buffett has said for several years now as the cash continues to build that, oh, you know, they're looking for that great acquisition, that elephant, that big, that big one. But they're so huge and they have so much cash there now that it's really got to be more than one big major acquisition, right? Even, you know, with that much cash, it's going to take several. And what are those going to be? And with most companies, most stocks trading near all-time highs, um, how are you getting any deals with this type of market conditions? You're really not. Now, Buffett and Munger have always been very patient and waited for corrections, crashes, you know, pullbacks, anything to, to get in there. And they have taken some heat for not getting in there in 2020. But that crash was just, you know, three weeks long. So, um, yeah, that one didn't work out for them like it normally does. And now they're still sitting on all this cash with no real explanation about what they're going to do with it. So this this would all concern me as a Berkshire shareholder, but I'm not one anymore. So um, I'm not as concerned. But for the rest of us value investors out there, it is good to check in on the Berkshire annual meeting and any kind of interview with Buffett and Munger. There are always these good quotes in there and things that make you laugh, like I was laughing earlier. Um, but we do learn some key things or are reminded of some key lessons for value investors, which is, you know, stay the course, have patience, buy great companies, don't overpay, and value investing does work. So what's going on with value stocks right now? What, where can we find the value here in this market with everything trading, you know, at new highs? There are still stocks that are uh, considered values with low PEs, price to book, price to sales, all of the things we look for with uh, strong charts, many of them breaking out and high Zex rank. So I took a look and pulled out five stocks that um, look really interesting here. They have a lot of momentum. I'm not sure any of these are trending on Robinhood, but uh, maybe every once in a while, one or two of these might be. So they're not as old economy as you might think, although one of them is. Uh, so let's dive right in into these stocks and see what's going on right now in the world of value. So the first one out of the gate, just reported earnings, Bungie, I've talked about it in the past, ticker BG. They're the agriculture, agriculture commodities trading type company with the oil seeds. And this whole area has been super hot. Its competitor, Archer Daniels Midland, ADM, also super hot. It's trading at new highs, but how could that be cheap, you ask? Oh, it is. 
has a 4P of 13, price to book is just 2.2, price to sales is 0.3. They have a market cap of 12.6 billion, so they're not a real small company. They're just cyclical and they gotta get put on the back burner until things turn good for them, which is what is happening right now. So one year return up 144%. 144. So that's a new five-year high. And I know you look at the chart and be like, oh, I'm not getting in that. I'm with you. It's hard to get into these when they're at, uh, you know, these kinds of highs. But the valuation is still there. They do pay a dividend of 2.3%. And it looks like this momentum is going to continue here in 2021 with these good market conditions. They had the huge beat. I would do a deeper dive on Bunky and listen in on that conference call and find out what else they're saying. Um, also, you know, check out behind the scenes and see if any insiders are buying any of these because that'll give you some clues too that if they're getting in still after this big move in the stock, that maybe you should too. So first stock is Bunky BG. Um, turning back to the big banks, a lot of banks have good Zach's ranks right now. Number ones or number twos. As that 10 years keeps rising, it goes right to the earnings. So the earnings outlook looks good with all the banks. I picked out one of the big ones because that's just kind of easier. We all know who they are. And JP Morgan is Zach's number one rank right now, ticker JPM. It has a $476 billion market cap. So this is the big guys. One year return, it's up 69.8%. So that's pretty good. Um, but maybe still has some more room to run here with these banks. PE is now 11.8, price to book is 1.9, and price to sales, a little elevated on this one at 3.7. Dividend yielding, 2.3%. So we are getting dividends again with these large banks. So as I said, there were numerous banks that made the various screens I ran for today. And a lot of them were like the smaller, a few regional banks, and then a lot of the smaller regional banks. So uh, if you have a favorite, go go check it out. Go on Zacks.com, check out what those earnings are looking like, listen in on those conference calls, and pick your poison because there is a lot of lot of good banks out there with uh, you know improving fundamentals for the banks here in 2021. Okay, the third stock is a home builder. I couldn't leave them off the list, could I? No, I could not. This week's is Beezer. Beezer Homes, ticker BZH. It's one of the smaller home builders, 770 million market cap, no dividend with them. They are Zach's number one, strong buy. PE is dirt cheap, as are all the home builders here, but this one's at 8.3. Price to book is just 1.2, and price to sales is 0.3. Now, one year return up 231%. So huge rise with the home builders. We know this, right? This is what makes it hard to get in. How much is left in the tank with these? Well, they're all seeing real good 2021 to start off. And those mortgage rates are staying fairly low to support this housing market here. We've got the job market heating up. Wages seem to be rising for a lot of people. Uh, maybe maybe you're going to be one of the ones to get a pay raise or a new job with higher pay and people are moving. They want to be buying, they're buying vacation homes, they're buying regular homes, they're moving states, all this stuff is going on. So home builders should be good for this year. Earnings are expected to be up 58% here in fiscal 2021. That's why the E is 
uh, E is going up, the PE is staying so low, even with the shares up so big. So we're going to see that with a couple of these stocks. So that's Beezer Homes, BZH. The fourth stock is Marine Max. This is the largest recreational boat uh, retailer out there. HZO. HZO is the ticker for Marine Max. Um, so if you're into the boat side and what's going on there, that's kind of a play on economy reopening, but we can't you know, fly to Greece. Well, actually you can, they're opening to, they're opening to vaccinated tourists. Uh, but most people will not be traveling internationally for yet another year. So they're sticking closer to home. They bought that vacation home. Now they need the boat. So sales very strong at these types of companies right now. Uh, PE is just 10.9, price to book 2.6, price to sales is just 0.8. So all value, classic value fundamentals. Now, get ready though, one year, these shares are up 326%. Yes, that's correct, at a five-year high. Uh, but earnings, as I said, because things are still really hot, earnings expected to be up 60% here in fiscal 2021. They don't pay a dividend, so you're not going to get anything to hold it. You're holding this play on kind of a return to um, either stay at home and domestic recreational vacations at your vacation home or um, you know on the local lake. So uh, market cap 1.4 billion, so fairly small for Marine Max, but it is again the largest recreational boat retailer out there. Okay, then we're going to switch over to the commodity side, and um, I've only done a, a few of these on the steel miners. So ArcelorMittal, the largest steel miner in the world, ticker MT, they are Zach's rank number one. They have a $32 billion market cap, but these this stock has run uh, pretty crazy as well. Also near uh, new 52-week highs, not the all-time highs, though. But near those 52-week highs, PE is just 4.4. So super cheap. But when it gets like that low, I always ask, like, am I sure things are, are really this good? Earnings expected to be up 984% this year. They're expected to see 681 versus a loss of 77 cents. So that's where the E is keeping that PE so low with that huge, uh, you know, that huge E gain is where you're going to get that super low PE. Price to book is 0.8 and price to sales is 0.7. So those are, are good value fundamentals. So the, these shares up 190% over the last year to those new 52-week highs, but maybe some more left in the tank. Not as big earnings growth expected for next year, as you might imagine. Um, so that's something to keep in mind, too, to be on the lookout a little bit for the value traps with some of these um, and take a look at a little bit further out. But does anyone really know what 2022 holds? We're you know almost in the middle of 2021, but the pandemic is still throwing a loop into all the economic data and um, what the companies are seeing and thinking. And so there's not a lot of long-term guidance that's able to be had out there. So a lot of uncertainties out there that will play a factor in how these value stocks perform and how they remain values 
or they don't over the next, you know, six to 12 months with some of these. So keep that in mind as well. Um, but yeah, still not a lot of tech, if anything, in the traditional value screens with, you know, affordable PEs <laughs> under 15 or so and some of the other value metrics. But I was screening only for the classical type of value fundamentals and tech for the most part has not really fallen into that category except a few exceptions like semiconductors have and some of the tech distributors is what I like to call them like the ones that um, you know companies go to to buy all of their new computers and things like that some of those guys on the services side tend to be a bit cheaper than say software cybersecurity you know um, social media all these other things so keep that in mind when you're uh, screening for value right now but still able to get quite a cross-section of different industries into the screen it's not all one area where the value is hanging out and that's a positive for this market going forward and that's what I like to see. So let me recap those stocks again in case you didn't have time to get them all down. So Bungie, ticker BG, is the ag commodity side. I've done a whole podcast on the ag super cycle. I love it. I love anything having to do with agriculture. So we're still basically in the beginning innings. I would say third or fourth inning of the super cycle. So still time to be in the cycle. Um, JP Morgan is the bank and that they look like they're heading into a better cycle here as well. JPM is the ticker. Beezer Homes, we're in about the middle of this cycle maybe, but not yet towards the end, I don't think, of the demand for housing here. Beezer Homes, BZH. Marine Max is the recreational boats. And I'm not sure where we are in that cycle. It's unclear because a lot of trends have changed. So we may only be in the middle of this cycle as well. HZ0 um, is the ticker there, or O, HZO is the ticker. Arcelor, Mittal, steel has been hot. So be aware what you're buying when you're getting in some of the steel guys. Ticker MT is the ticker there. And as always, we're going to be following anything, you know, that's happening at Berkshire Hathaway with Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger. Every time they give interviews, we check in and it's always good to get some advice and insight from the Oracle of Omaha. And that was true this year, again, in 2021. So is Warren Buffett out of touch? I'll leave it up to you to decide, but I wouldn't bet against him given his track record, right? Um, that's just my take. And as always, you wanna be able to subscribe so you get all of our podcasts here. You can get us on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Amazon Music, and a whole bunch of other platforms, including all the Google podcasts. You can get us over there too, but for sure to get us, and I'll see you again next time with some more value stocks. 
This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.